This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. There should be some parameters in trying to figure out what you're doing when you're working in the end goal. In particular, to work for the sake of work, you know, it's fantastic. But if you don't know where you're going at the end of it and all you're doing is working, uh, then you become just that mule that's plowing the ground with no particular end in mind. Today, I want to speak to all of you who are business owners. Now, you might own a small business, mid-sized, large business. What I'm really looking to do is talk to those of you who are in charge, who are working day in and day out to get that business to thrive. Because in our conversation today, you're going to meet David Sider. David is an attorney at Spencer and Fain, and he's located in Kansas City. And he's also a recent best-selling author of a book titled Quiet Plans, Exciting Results. He is a merger and acquisition specialist, but what he really loves is helping people create the plan for what's next. Now, if you are a business owner, you know that you're busy day in and day out, just keeping the business going and, and everything that needs to happen to make it come to life. But how much time have you spent preparing for what's next? Whether that next is to sell the business, to merge or acquire another business, or to retire. What's your strategy? And who is on the team that you're creating to help you make that plan and stick to it? We're gonna talk about all of that in the conversation today, but don't be fooled into thinking that this is a dry conversation because David is anything but dry. In fact, in this interview, in the talk, we actually speak about everything from the Missouri Mule to Auntie M to Leonard Skinner. <laughs> it's that kind of conversation. Fun, enlightening, and I think extremely helpful for any of you who need to begin planning or are already planning what's next. So I invite you to sit back and listen in as David Sider shares his story. Hello, David. Welcome to It Just Takes One. It's great to see you today. Kelly, long time no see. How are you? Long time no see. And I was wondering if you might lead us off with a little bit of a Scottish impression. Well, as fat as I can tell us. Now, don't let your husband see that, please. Or, by the way, <laughs> I'm doing that just for him. Scotland. All right. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love that. Actually, um, the listeners that are in, and viewers that are watching may not realize that you are actually quite talented at impressions. Uh, the clients would probably argue with you and say, you know, you think you're good at it, but might want to give it up. Go back to law. <laughs> I've actually done that, though, to get a couple of clients attention over the years where they wouldn't return my call. So I'd have various people like Marlon Brando and The Godfather and John Wayne and Walter Cronkite, folks like that call. And then on one particular case, uh, I landed a client because he said, look, I'll hire you, just stop doing that. <laughs> I'll pay you to stop. Yeah, I just stop. I don't, you're not helping the situation because I can't take anymore. It was pretty humorous at the time. It is very well. I, I love that. Do you actually have a Walter Cronkite impression? That's the way it is. December seventh, nineteen forty-one. You know, I, I don't that I don't get a lot of requests because you know a lot of people really don't remember who he is, or a lot of people weren't alive when he was around. It's true. I actually had the honor of meeting him. Really? Way back when I was still in high school when I met him, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And I was at an event and he was wow. speaking and I was able to go up and, and meet with him and talk with him for a while after. At the time, I actually thought I might be going into journalism. So it was just a thrill to to actually shake his hand. Well, the classic uh, Walter Cronkite was when the plane with um, 
a rock band went down. So he wanted to let everybody know uh, that in Mississippi last night, the rock band Lenyard Skinyard crashed to their death. It's like uh, <laughs> oh, Leonard Skinner. You were <laughs> up on rock and roll at the time. That's great. I did not know. That's great. Well, I love, I've, I've enjoyed hearing your impressions. I'm not paying you to stop. I'm going to encourage them because I, I think it's a great skill. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Something you can pull out of your back pocket. And they did not teach you in law school. They did not. And you would know that. I would know that. Exactly right. So before we get talking about law and all those other mundane kinds of things, let's talk a little bit about why, how we are even here together today. I want to give a little shout out to our dear friend, my business partner, your friend, um, Greg Justice. David, sh share a little bit about how you and Greg actually connected. So Greg was referred to me to help him with his minutes and other things. And I grew up in primarily Minnesota and Colorado and, um, Loved sports, loved hockey mainly. Um, after I got to law school, I wanted to stay in pretty good shape. He comes in and says, can you help me with some of the things that uh, you do, some of my corporate minutes? I said, sure. Got to know him. And I go, you know, I'd like to come over. Maybe you could help me a little bit. That, I think he said I was the third customer that he ever had. Really? And when he was starting his practice, he has a book that he, he thinks, the first book. I think he's written 18, 19. But um, the first book that he had, uh, he commented to those people that helped him starting out. And I was in there. I was, I was kind of shocked. I didn't know. So over the, I've worked with him. But I, the guy is about as much as a personal trainer as you are a lawyer. And what I mean by that is you both have the training, but that's not, you defy that gravity. So I would listen to him while I'm working out. Oh, I started a 24-7 online web portal where I'm, I have these various training things going on. They're all over the world. I'm going, where does a guy who's a personal trainer come up with this stuff? You know, it, it, you know, given our backgrounds, you know, we think we're supposed to go to McKinsey or Bain or, you know, somebody to teach us how to do these things. And here's this guy literally doing it on his own. So I've been with him for years and years and years. And I told him I was thinking about a book. So one by, little by little, he puts little breadcrumbs down that I slowly follow around um, until I get to the point where he says, you know, you really need to do this. This is something you need to do. And I think what probably tipped it for me was the fact he said, you know, I've written 18 books and you haven't written one. And that was a couple of years ago. And I had already started outlining a book. And so in a nice way, it was a challenge without threatening me. Um, and we talked about where we were in our lives, our careers, where do we want to go? What do we want to accomplish? And it seemed like an evolution for me of the next step that I had to get it. I had to purge myself for lack of a, uh, of a better word. And so uh, I recommend this to anybody that you find someone who is a trainer, where you can sit there and talk to you about possibly writing a book. Oh, by the way, the only person I know is Greg Justice. <laughs> and then Greg introduced me to you as the brains of the outfit. And I said, oh, okay. Now we know, as we would say here in Kansas, we know who the wizard is. <laughs> well, it's funny because I actually refer to Greg as the wizard because I feel like he's like the wizard of Oz. He does the back end of the book publishing process and he's pulling all those levers and sort of behind the curtain. Right. And, you know, if you just open the curtain, oh, wait. Here's Greg Justice, a personal trainer. And oh, by the way, there's more. There's another chamber. I don't know, Annie M. Let's go find out. So, <laughs> you know, he's he's uh, he's very humble as well, and, and supremely understated while being, you know, confident. And you know, and he's he's trying out for the Ninja Warriors, and he's like sixty. And I'm going like, how does this happen? So the guy's got energy. He's got drive. He's got ideas. I think the big thing with him, and I outlined part of this in the book, is he understands risk, I think, and can can figure out how to manage it without necessarily jeopardizing everything else that he's doing. He's always thinking, always a gentleman. Um, you know, just really, really well thought out guy. So I, I go like, well, if he can do it, you know, and I had like, I don't know how many more years of education. I think I can learn from this cat. Cause he did it the hard way. I don't have to, I'll just learn from him. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great segue into the book that we're going to talk about today that you actually wrote. Do you have, do you have it there so you can show everybody? I happen to. That that would be me in case you weren't Excellent. sure. There he is. Right here. Very, very good. Quiet Plans, Exciting Results. I really want to start with the title because we went back and forth with the title. You had some other <laughs> ideas for titles. You really thought about different ones that might work, might not work. What made you decide on that title? Uh, quite candidly, I don't think you were too crazy about taking the rooster to the movie theater. Actually, you you uh, you you encapsulated it for me because I uh, and I have a little story on why I was going to call it something else. But um, it, it resonated with me after talking to you that a lot of the people that I've seen that have really been successful in business. They're not on CNBC, Squawk Box, you know, Forbes, Bloomberg, you know, especially in this part of the country uh, and the way that I think Midwesterners are, we, we tend to put ourselves in a position where we sit down and write out things and not really talk to a whole lot of people about it and then go do it, at least the people that are extremely successful. And, and what I mean by that, I've got a client uh, outside of Kansas City, three guys sitting at a table. It always seems to be at a kitchen table if you're in the Midwest. Uh, three guys sitting in, uh, sitting at a table, uh, putting their houses on the line, and now they're, you know, the amount of uh, of money that this company is generating is staggering. So, uh, in their new building, they took that old um, kitchen table and they hung it on the wall to always remind them. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. So it's, you know, people going like, I'm not sure, let me put, stick my oar in the water, start paddling, you know, but I want to be on a quiet part of the stream that nobody sees me. But at the end of it, you know, whether or not they see it, at least to the outsiders, to their families, other people, it's exciting because they did, they achieved what it was that they were looking for. It doesn't happen with everybody, but I am shocked by the number of people that have that attitude that are able to achieve the goals that they want. So I, you know, it just, you, you encourage me, that seemed to be the ultimate answer to what I was seeing. Nice people, you know, quietly moving forward, getting the results they want and they're exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and just to kind of fill the listeners in, if you haven't read the book yet, if you don't have the book in your hand yet, um, tell them a little bit about what this book is about. I've really divided it up into three sections and I've been very blessed along with you. I've sent it to a couple of clients, <laughs> actually uh, about four or five clients. And, and one, uh, a good friend of mine, I'll give him a shout out. Tim Hammond said, this book is not put together well. He said, you got essentially three different concepts. So if someone's going to write a book, it's good to get somebody really close to that will be black and white in his analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and so he said, what I really see is you've got business stories, you've got M&A stories, and you've got uh, stories about hiring professionals. Uh, and I've, I've sent it to other people and they bring back uh, suggestions and anecdotes. And some of them said to me, because it was about them, I had to get their approval even though their names may not be in the book. And they will say, that's not what I said, but this is what I said. It was actually a better quote than what I'd put in the book. Uh, and so there's a real value in doing that. So um, one of the things I wanted to emphasize by writing the book um, is just the stories that I've seen over the years, which Kelly may need to the next book, which would be uh, a book just about successes in the Midwest versus, you know, versus, uh, um, you know, the big mega stars, Musk, Gates, um, Jobs, etc. What about all the people out there that have been highly successful, you never hear about, you know, and the, the stories that they've gone through and the struggles that they've gone through to get where they're at. So I wanted to have that section on it. I love doing M&As, but really mergers and acquisitions, but really a merger and acquisition is what? It's about taking your ownership, your equity, your stock for money and just reversing the scenario so that you get the money out of it. Um, so I'd like to talk about the process, what's involved in some of the stories, some of the anecdotes uh, of, of opportunities I've had to help people over the years handle it. And then finally, 
uh, I think it's a challenge for a lot of people. And I'm told that as an attorney, I really don't show up as an attorney. And I asked them why that is. Said, people said, we don't understand attorneys. So I tried to write a section on, you know, how you go about choosing an attorney, what that would look like, how it would work for you. And some of the challenges talk about the introversion that exists with uh, professionals, talk about socialization um, and how they like to interact or not interact. So I want to have a little bit of a guiding light. So that, that's what it really boiled down to. I did not see that. I just sat down and started writing and, you know, came out with uh, 47. Actually, I had more than that. I had more than 47 chapters. And I think you said, no, nah, we're not we're not doing that many. And uh, Tim Hannon said there's, there's some repetitiveness here. So let's not do that. So that was the driving force, really. Uh, 46 and the bonus. And the bonus. Thank you very much. <laughs> Which we'll get Everybody. to. We'll get to. You yes. know, as, as I've gotten to know you, as I worked with you on the book, as I as I read what you were writing, um, so much of the title that you finally chose is how I look at you. Although I wouldn't say you're a quiet person. You have a personality that's big and you've got just a, a great um, energetic personality. But but Dave, what I've known about you and, and what I think the book does is you're about shining the light on other people. You're about sharing the success of the people around you. You're about connecting people and, and being able to raise people up and show what they've done and the success that they've had, which is what I think you've done in this book. And, and it's the perfect encapsulation of the title of the book. Well, you're very kind of saying that. Um, somebody asked me, where did the arrogance come to write a book? And I said, well, here's the thing. It's really not about me. I'm writing about other people because uh, I, I think that's how you learn from people who've had those successes. But I also, I marvel at some of the people. I mean, there, there's a chapter in there where I talk about what I think it takes to be successful. And where I thought it was when I started out in law school now is totally different. Um, you know, to be able to be around individuals with unbelievable vision, unbelievable passion, unbelievable discipline, and to know what risk is and how to handle it. There's just not very many people. So it's a it's a privilege and a pleasure to be able to work with people like that and, and to learn. That's the lesson. It's them. So I never really thought it was about me. And I, and I really um, have gone on to share about 400 books now, um, mainly to say, you know, here are my experiences. You know, if if you read it and you think there's something in here for you because of my experiences, not because of me, Maybe we ought to do business. If not, I'm okay. But I've just seen an awful lot, and a lot of it is success. There's some stories in there about failure too, because uh, as Dan Sullivan would say, the uh, the mentor, you only lose from you only learn from failure. You don't learn from success. And I'm actually going to read a section if you'll let me uh, to talk Please. a little bit about what we said. But I also want to say that you just brought up a lesson from Dan Sullivan. And I do want to get back to the lessons that you have shared in the book. We'll get to that. But let me just share with you. Uh, this is you describing why you wrote the book. And you wrote this. The compelling initial reason was that I saw many lessons that just hung out in my head. But what is it, what's important about these lessons? Why am I to write this book? Perhaps because I have observed so many business owners, including my own father, work so hard that I want to offer them information to make their lives potentially either easier or more meaningful. Some made the successful jump to fantastic experiences and results. Others did not. In many instances, the painful experiences and failures resonate the most. Some of those experiences are in this book, some are not, as I tried to draw upon lessons without engaging in repetition. My journey weaves its way through many experiences that required me to be as concise as possible while protecting attorney-client privilege where required. I would ask you to decide and let me know once you've read the book, if I have been of any help to you. Thank you. Yes, it, um... You know, if you can help someone 
and I should say it this way, the best way to learn from failure is somebody else's failure. <laughs> and if you can do that with the least amount of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, you're better off, I think, in the long run. There's some things you have to go through to learn that everyone does. It's the nature of life. One of the things that I've seen over the years, and I shared this with a group of guys recently, when they were wondering why someone who made a lot of money went down the wrong road. And I said, my experience has been that everybody struggles. It's not the same thing, but in life, everybody struggles from some aspect. One of the guys in the group said, I never struggle. And about 10 minutes later, he said, no, I struggle. <laughs> so the question is, can we call upon each other where I struggle and maybe you don't, can you help me and vice versa? Because everybody's got, to use a baseball vernacular, everybody's got a hole in their swing. There's just, there's a certain ball thrown to them that they can't hit. And so question then becomes, how are we going to help you get past that and onto wherever you need to go? And if I can do that, then I've done something in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Um, you also mentioned in that quote that I just read in that bit um, that you watched your father go through this. I don't think I know the story of your father. Well, my father was uh, majored in chemistry and biology and her parent, his parents wanted him to go to medical school and he didn't want anything to do with it. So he started out at Allied Chemical in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, from there moved us seven times, or we, we lived in seven different cities as he was trying to figure out first how not to be an employee anymore and own his business. Um, and what I learned over those seven years or seven different locations uh, are that you try to believe that you're going somewhere and circumstances will be better for you and your family for whatever reason you're moving, money, location, uh, other needs. Um, and there's a lot of reasons to move, but you do that purposefully. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book Boys in the Boat, but there's a yeah. story about, we yeah, have a story about the one individual who was essentially turned out on the street when he was in high school and he had to go figure it out, uh, winds up rowing for the Olympic team. And I think he wound up, but well, he went to the University of Washington, rowed for them, went to the Olympic team in 36, rowed for them. So he had a lot of hardship. Uh, but it was a maturing process. We did not have that kind of hardship, but there was a maturing process that in retrospect, looking back now, maybe I didn't want to go through as a child, but it, it really turned me into being someone who notices other people and have some, some of the attorneys say you have a sensitivity to understand maybe people or what they're going through. And I said, well, you when you move seven just seven different cities, you know, you've got to figure out how to assimilate or understand people, or you're just going to be out in the cold for the rest of whatever. So it was an upbringing, a uh, lot of movement. Uh, I've also talked to other clients that said, Hey, well, that's nothing. I was with the military. We moved, you know, 300 times or whatever the number is. So um, because of that, I learned from what he was doing and I, hopefully I was a good observer. He has passed a uh, very hardworking man, very bright man. I mean, just, just incredibly bright. Is he still with us? No, he passed about 12 years ago. My mother, who is 92, is still with us in a ball of fire at age 92. I refer to her as a cross between Eleanor Roosevelt and Vince Lombardi uh, because <laughs> she does have uh, Roosevelt tendencies, uh, but also was the one that would tell myself, I've got two brothers and a sister, uh, what we need to do on any particular day. And it's certain measurements that we had to live up to, although she said it quietly, kind of like the title of the book, but you will do this. Interesting, interesting. 92 though, God bless her. That's, that's amazing. Yes, and she's still going strong, not lost any faculties. That's great. So going back to the book and I want to spend a little bit of time kind of pulling out a couple pieces of it. There's so much in it. If, if any of you listening are at any point in your business where you're looking to expand, to grow, or to leave 
the business in some way so you can go on to whatever is next for you. This book has all kinds of great advice and great stories to share. But I just want to take a minute, Dave, because just your sense of humor shows up right from the table of contents. And there are some great titles of these chapters. I'm going to point out a couple of them and then we'll we'll dive into them. Um, One of them, the the Missouri Mule. We'll talk (laughs) about what that is. Uh, well, I had a, uh, I had a friend, God love him, he passed during COVID, but he would refer to me uh, as the Missouri mule, not having not grown up around here, you know, I could kind of figure it out. So the adage of that he was trying to relate to me about the Missouri mule is not only can you hook up the mule to do the South 40, but the mule will probably do the North 40, they'll, they'll work until they drop. And so the lesson is that I've learned over the years, and I love to work, is there should be some parameters in trying to figure out what you're doing when you're working in the end goal. And in particular, to work for the sake of work, you know, it's fantastic. But if you don't know where you're going at the end of it and all you're doing is working, uh, then you become just that mule that's plowing the ground with no particular end in mind. So I would like people to, uh, to avoid that scenario. And I went through that for years and that caused me to go uh, to various uh, mentoring groups like strategic coaching in particular to go like, you know, I'm working real hard, but I'm not getting there. What do I need to do? Uh, and I think for anyone who is or feels that they're they're not necessarily lost, but I'm, am I treading? Am I, you know, am I getting something done? It's time to reach out. And, you know, I think, Kelly, you're better at it than I am as an attorney. It's not easy to ask for help in a business context because we're supposedly know everything. But I've come to understand, again, thanks to Dan Sullivan, that everybody has a unique ability. Figure out what that is. And then as to everything else, put a a dog shock collar around you is what he said. And stay within your unique ability. And go find other people who handle other things. And if you do that, you'll be able to find what you're really best at. And you will not become any longer, won't continue to be the Missouri Mule. And unique ability is one of the chapter titles, which is right before the next one that I was going to point out, which is Michael Jordan has so much to teach us. And so, you know, I think everybody's heard this, that Michael Jordan says two things. I've taken more shots than baskets made. In other words, his his notion is he's failed over and over and over again. Um, But I always found that it was interesting. It's interesting you bring this up because a relative uh, critique me on this after the fact, but I always find it was interesting. He left basketball for baseball because I've never played professional baseball, but the ability to be a two sports star for anybody is pretty tough, but he was so good at basketball. Why would you jump out and, and do baseball other than because you think you can and the affiliated, uh, shall we say, philosophy that goes with that. But I think it shows, and I've seen this with business owners, find out what you do really well and do that. You know, it's okay to go try other things, but your level of, for lack of a better term, success probably is not going to be the same. Now, if you're doing it because you want another experience, great, go do it. But understand that's what it is. I think he wanted to make, uh, you know, make it to the big leagues. Now, some people who say that if you look at his colorful um, uh, experiences in uh, certain casinos uh, might lead you to conclude that um, maybe he had to get out of basketball. I, I don't know anything about it. I don't think there's any substantiation to it. So maybe I'm all wet, but I think the lesson is there nonetheless. He had to work very hard to be good at that, to be able to then move into another area and have the same level of success, very rare, but is it really worth it? As opposed to find what you do really, really well, as Dan Sullivan says, your unique ability, stick to it and go do it and find other people to help you because you'll ultimately, I think, be happier in the long run. It's such a good point. And, And in my experience with coaching business owners, it makes sense when you say it, but, but people are very afraid to stay in their own lane. They're very afraid to, to get too narrow in their focus. 
And even though you, it makes so much sense to find your unique abil ability and, and, and thrive in that space, the fear makes people get very diluted and, oh, I'll just try this and I'll do a little bit of this and I'll give me this hat, I'll wear that. Do you find that same thing in the work yes. that you've done where people get afraid to get into that lane and to, to get narrow? Well, I find it with myself. Best? Yeah, I, I, I say to people when they want to do something, I said, are you interested or committed? And so why do you say that? And I said, it's real simple. If, you know, if you're interested, it may happen. If you're committed, there's no, no substitute other than success. So you'll get there. The question always is, and I see this with, with the firm over the years and some of the management committees I've been on, even myself, I have interest in something. Well, you know, at this point in life, you really got to go after that which you're committed to because it takes all of your, frankly, your passion, your joy, your drive, your desire, your vision, um, your work ethic to find something you uh, can do and really do well. You be committed. Your success angle uh, to that is probably much higher, much steeper. Uh, I, I've, there was a time that I was tilting at, thing, at things uh, that I was interested in. And sometimes I'm a little bit like that because I can get real excited about something given my personality. But in the long haul, if you can find those things that you're committed to versus interest, you'd be much better off. And it's hard. I like, as I tell my kids, I'm sure you tell your kids, the good news is you have a lot of options. The bad news, you got to make choices. That's just the way life works. Yeah, absolutely. Rolling down the table of contents, I, there's a, many. I'm just picking out a couple. There's so many that have such good points in them, but one of them that's on here is the Oregon Trail. <laughs> I was quoting this this week, uh, and this the shout out goes to Tom Nolte, who's an architect here in Kansas City. And he gave me a great analogy uh, I want to resurrect this, but I did a video uh, slideshow on this. Uh, but he taught this to me, so I got to give him props. But he said, when it comes to being hired as a professional, think of yourself as a uh, wagon master. And, you know, uh, over my shoulder is Independence, Missouri, where most of the wagon trains took off of going west. Um, California, Oregon, Santa Fe, I mean, you name it. Um, and he said, envision this, that you're at the camp over in Independence, Missouri, and somebody comes up and says, you're a wagon master, I'd like to hook on your wagon. He said, great, it'll be X amount of money. And he goes, no, I can figure it out on my own. And um, by analogy, he said, that's really good. And you probably want to know where to ford the Missouri River or the Caw River here in Kansas. It'd be important to also know where you can graze your cattle up in the wetlands in Nebraska and be sure to watch out for the Native Americans because they're always running around. Don't go over the Donner Pass in the middle of winter. You might want to make sure that you can figure out what's going to happen is mm, any of your cattle die if you're out there along and there or I should say oxen pulling your wagon. How are you going to deal with it? Or you can hire me. It's your choice. Um, I think for purposes of any kind of transaction with the business. You want a plan. I was talking to a client today. I said, I'm going to ship you the Oregon Trail plan. It turns out they live in Washington state. So it makes a lot of sense to them. What's the plan? How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to deal with difficulties? In all mergers and acquisitions that I've seen, there is always, there's a time when you find yourself just overwhelmed. And they're going to be difficult parts of the journey, mainly because you're worn out. And it, it always comes usually about the time you're getting ready to sign the agreement, you're doing quite a bit of due diligence, uh, negotiations back and forth, and you're exhausted. So there's going to be, like the Oregon Trail, there's going to be you know, good aspects and there's going to be some really tough aspects. And uh, some of the quotes that I put in the book in that chapter came straight out of the Oregon Trail Museum up in Oregon that I visited about some of those uh, experiences and escapades. I just found it to be somewhat of a natural analogy to make in dealing with M&As. In fact, I put together a process years ago on what it looks like to explain it. And it was only through Tom Nolte that I figured out how to call it the Oregon Trail. 
Well, let me read one of the quotes from that chapter because I think it's interesting. Um, one of the things that you do that I loved that you did in this book is you, you used quotes from such a wide variety of people and authors and books and you know everything from Ben Franklin to Marcus Aurelius to Thomas Edison, Dan Sullivan we've talked about. Um, and in this, this one I'm gonna read just in the middle of the chapter called Oregon Trail is by E.W. Conyers, one wagon just passing with the motto, root little hog or die on both sides. And on another cover is written bound for Oregon. Oregon spelled R-O-R-I-G-E-N, right. <laughs> not Oregon. <laughs> yeah. And so it is, it's a journey. And I think there's some other analogies, obviously to business life and a business cycle that you could also say are quite similar, but it seemed to me, if you could talk in terms of we're here and we're going to the promised land, especially with M&A, the ultimate reality of monetizing that is getting the money out of your business. And really, what is, what is it really all about when it's all said and done? At the end of the experience of working your whole life, what is it you should net? Some people will say, I want a certain amount of money. I want more money I can get. I want all my employees to benefit. I want to give monies to charity. There doesn't have to be any one way. I want to give it to my family. I know one person, I'm not giving it to my family because it's just going to create problems. They need to figure out how to earn it. But what is that goal? And I find it specifically for men, and I talk about this, you know, a lot of men will equate their value and their significance to their business, period. And so it's for quite a few, it's hard to give it up. It's hard to give up when you're an attorney. That's all you've ever known. And how do you go on from that? So um, thank you for bringing that up. That, that's one of my treasured chapters that I hope people um, can either empathize with, relate to, uh, or at least start asking some serious questions about what they are doing as they go down their particular trail. Right, I, I agree. And I hope that as the listeners are, are listening or, or watching this, they're starting to see that Although this is a book about business and about M&As and about succession plans and all these other um, topics that, that you wrote it with a lot of, of life experience in here and, and it's, it's not dry, it's very entertaining. It, it, there's a lot in it, um, but it gets the point across. So that's what I'm hoping that we're, we're sharing with the listeners right now. I do wanna turn to the the area that you are really passionate about, which is mergers and acquisitions, M&As. And I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about that because I believe that some of the listeners out there may be at points in their business life or their, their careers where they're thinking about what's next, whether that's blending, merging something together or whether it's trying to create a succession plan for later on. Um, I wanna spend a little time talking about that. My first question though, I really wanted to spend a minute asking you about this. We haven't had a chance to talk about it until this moment, um, but I'm curious whether you have seen any shift in M&As as a result of the pandemic. I have seen over the last year, from last year to today, M&As are accelerating at an even higher level. There's something called a roll-up where people within a particular industry will try to combine companies. Uh, so I worked uh, and have worked in the space of heating and plumbing businesses that have merged up with one roller. I'm now told there's one being started in asphalt um, for parking lots, that sort of thing, which I think is interesting. There has been an explosion because of pent up demand, not that many, there were a fair number of deals done last year but not like there was in 2019. I, one of my um, associates said I had 49 different um, conversations. Conversations defined as a half an hour to six months. Somebody called, wanted to know about an acquisition to a, we were working uh, to complete an acquisition and, and did. It slowed down. Uh, now we're seeing the explosion because the money is sitting out there and it's got to go somewhere. Where are you going to put it? Other than the stock market, I've stressed that the best thing to do is invest in yourself, invest in your business or business similar to that. Why? Because you probably know that business, assuming 
you know, you're successful. We're going to see for the next few years a continued explosion. I'm told, please don't quote me on this being exact, by 2032, there's like 30 trillion, not billion, but trillion dollars that is going to be um, changing hands because people are retiring. That will be the optimum time the baby boomers punch out. What's interesting is if you think about it, and a contrarian shared this with me, and the person said, if there's going to be that many people retiring on the sell side, isn't that going to be the same number on the buy side who have all the money? That perhaps then in 10 years, there's going to be more sellers than buyers. And we really haven't focused on that. But for the moment, uh, and there has been for the last five, six, seven years, and you can see it with the wealth in the country growing, and it's still there. In fact, it's grown more. Uh, there's a lot of money looking for deals. And unfortunately, um, we have not had in the United States a significant growth in, from my vantage point, which is limited, a growth in new business opportunities at a level that people would be interested in buying you. I'm not, I'm not going to the startups. I'm not going to uh, somebody working out of their house. I'm not really examining or, or uh, paralleling my statement to those situations, but businesses that have been around 25, 50, 100 years, um, I'm, I'm, one might suggest that uh, maybe the core businesses of manufacturing, which we thought left long ago, maybe there's fewer and fewer of that uh, here in the United States. Boy, I hope not. Right now, there's not enough sellers is really what I'm trying to say, to, to satiate everybody with money. So people are paying um, great sums of money for businesses. Hmm. And I don't see that stopping. Now, the, everybody is nervous about the tax hike. It, it's coming. I would not recommend to anybody that they sell based on taxes. I understand the issues, I believe, and it is a consideration. But the first consideration is what is your, what is your goal? Okay, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, is there a way to still have that passion and desire and work in the business or do something like that uh, that would work for you and your family going forward? Kelly, I think right now, people like you and I, me, we're going to live to 100. Mm -hmm. I mean, the longevity now is fantastic. If you're retiring at 60 or 65, what are you going to do for 35, 40 years? Now, I'm not saying you can work 10, 12 hours a day. I think the big challenge for us is what does that next step really uh, look like? There's a new book out. It's the gentleman's last name is Brooks. And the name of the book is called The Second Mountain. It's about, you know, what is next for you in life. And I think it's geared toward people that are thinking about, you know, what is it now that I've been success monetarily. What do I do now? I just started reading that. So I'll report back to you on that. And I read it because I see this with a lot of people. I see people sell their business and have no plan. That's tough. Or at least I think it is. You can only play so much golf. You only do so much traveling. And that's not to say that's what everyone's doing. But certainly you need to plan for what's next, especially if you're going to live for another 35, 40 years, if you're tiring in your early 60s. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I agree. And so, so I'm hearing you say, you know, the first question is, what's your goal? What, what are you really trying to achieve? But when do you need to start asking yourself that question? So at some point in everybody's brain, you know, that, that little second voice in the back of your head that exists with everybody, at some point, that question pops up for the first time. At some point, and that's the point. And the reason I say that is it's not there by accident. So something is triggering that. And it's not the statement, it's the trigger behind it. Mm -hmm. Are you tired of this job? Are you not physically able to handle it? Is it a negative relationship? Is it about you or is it the job? By the way, it's probably about you, <laughs> as it is with all of us. So when you hear that little voice, and, and I talk about this in the chapter, I'm told we have a football coach at Kansas State University. I did not attend there. His name is uh, Snyder. And 
when he retired, he said, the reason I retired is that voice told me it was time, you know, told me that maybe I ought to do something else. He said, it's over because it, it manifests itself, that voice, really when it's been, for lack of a better term, anchored in your brain. It's been there for a while, but that's just the first acknowledgement. But the exciting part is then you can start planning. That doesn't mean it's five years, 10 years, it could be 20 years, but there's something driving it. Let's drill down and figure out really what that is. And I, I'm sure you know that with the people that you've talked to about various books, that may not be an easy discovery. That is not as simple as the Oregon Trail. Hmm. It's going to take some time and it's going to take some help, but there is some joy in discovering that. And there are people that you can talk to about who have been down this road. Joe Sewer is mentioned uh, in my book, and I was talking with him recently, and I think I shared with you, I think, for a, a second edition, an interview of him would be significant because he said, you know, you really need to think about what you're doing afterwards. He is an interesting guy because he planned out his exit about 10 to 15 years ago. I mean, he planned it out to the T. I find that unusual for an individual who founded his own company. I don't see that very often. I've seen it in larger companies where there is a design succession plan. Uh, I've got a couple of clients like that and they really come out of a publicly traded background where you have to plan for your successes, but that's rare. But for someone to say 10 to 15 years, I'm out, this is what's gonna be required at this time is very, very unusual. But you know what? He was committed and he executed at the highest level and he has reaped the reward. Very, very um, inspiring individual, very quiet. Again, quiet plans, did very quietly, but got exciting results. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the moniker of the people that I like being around representing. They just go do it. And they're, you know, at the end of it, they go, yeah, I did it. I feel pretty good about it and go on with their lives. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's great to talk about it. It's another thing to plan about. It kind of goes back to your question earlier. You know, are you interested or are you committed? Uh, but when you do get committed, when you do really think about making that plan, one of the things that you emphasize in the book is how important it is to build your team, that you don't do this alone. You build your team. So share a little bit about who needs to be on that team to help you make that plan and carry it out. Well, with any type, uh, I think of a, what I'll call a succession plan or an exit plan, you're going to have a variety of people. I do M&As, but I'm going to call on people internally to the company here. And Spencer Fain, we have just short of 400 attorneys. We've got offices from uh, Las Vegas and Phoenix all the way to Tampa, Florida. Uh, so we have a broad reach. So I can call upon various people in various locales with specialties, but you're gonna to need to know somebody who understands tax, litigation, employee benefits, uh, employment, um, corporate law, obviously. Uh, you're going to have to call upon them to help th through the process because when you are moving a business to sale, to sell, there are a lot of component parts that you're going to be disclosing to your potential buyer. The buyer wants to know what he's buying. People think that somehow hiding something from them is going to be a benefit. It never is. They'll discover it sooner or later. And then we got a problem. So it's best to explain up front what's there. Um, so you want to have uh, an attorney like me that can do the whole deal, but hopefully can call upon a wide variety of resources that can help you walk through things. So for example, in 2019, we're doing all the deals. Who had ever heard of COVID? I mean, you know, you got to have people around that can deal with those things. I would never have dealt with a PPP loan that didn't exist, right, two years ago. Um, Ten years ago, nobody was really worried about cybersecurity. I mean, it just didn't exist. So you need that depth and breadth of range. But probably the place to start, I think, is to have a really good CPA and a financial planner. You have to have someone charting a course from that side of the ledger. First of all, cash flow, and second of all, tax. Just figure out what are the available alternatives and when do they come into play so you can take total advantage of it. As you get, consequently, I'll be, those people will call me and say, we need your help. We've got somebody that needs to exit. Um, oftentimes, you need someone that can do evaluation of the business. How do you know what you should sell it for 
unless you know what the value is. And a lot of people say, I know what the value is. I will tell you over the last couple of years, I couldn't begin to tell you what the value is because it's, it's radically changed really in the last 10 years, mainly because there's more sellers than buyers and there's so much money chasing so few deals. So all of a sudden the values have come up. I'm sure your experiences uh, in your part of New York state is there's not enough houses. All of a sudden everything's worth a, a lot more. Really? I mean, it's the same real estate. The house has gotten older, needs more repair, but it's worth more. And that's somewhat analogous to what's going on. So you need someone to help you with the valuation piece. You need an attorney to help put it together. You need folks that can put together and organize all the data uh, as you would as if you're writing a book. You just got to put it all together in one package and be able to deliver it up. So you're probably going to need some IT people. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, businesses that are probably selling for, you know, 50 million and above. Um, that's usually the way I structure Smaller deals have a lot of the same thing, but, you know, sometimes the valuation person could be the CPA, you know, sometime the attorney and three or four of his associates could help. Um, maybe you don't do go to a classic valuation uh, firm. Uh, maybe you don't go get an investment banker to help raise money. There are different variables that can go with that. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a team. One of the things I share with people is I have an, a process and it has across, you know, the top, you know, someone that brings uh, the company to market. And how do you put together what we call the book? Here's the information. Are you interested in the business? Um, could be an investment banker, could be a broker, something along that line. You're going to have an attorney. You're going to have an account. You're going to have a tax advisor that group of people can probably get you 90% to where you need to go in most transactions. And so getting a core group of people together will help. Oftentimes, and it just happened this week, I was brought in by somebody that already has an attorney, but they want me to co-op with them because this attorney is good, doesn't have my level of experience. So it's not uncommon. You might be using your professionals, but bringing in other professionals to help from time to time who have more experience, especially in certain more exotic transactions, which I personally love, but nobody really cares about how I get the money and the stock to trade hands. Just, they make it happen. Quiet plans, quiet plans. <laughs> you know, I want to make a quick shout out to Spencer Fain, actually, Dave. I was really astonished when I was reading the bio and, and sort of the, the summary of everything that your law firm does, how many different areas they, they service, but also how many different places you're located around the country. It's a huge organization. We're very fortunate. Our managing partner is Pat Whalen, who is interesting from the vantage point that he's essentially a litigator, but he has an MBA. So those two things to me don't, don't run together but very forward thinking uh, has helped bring to attorneys throughout the country and literally throughout the country, a conversation about our platform. Unlike a lot of law firms, there are some like us, but unlike a lot of law firms, what our goal is to create a platform that you can succeed in any way uh, you see fit. That platform is something you can design or not, but it's really, uh, up to you. It's a little bit different than the hierarchical phenomena that we've seen with, you know, the old line law firms. We're able to uniquely stage ourselves to deal with primarily people who are privately owned, uh, but very large companies. We do some publicly traded company, but we really like the niche of being able to help the business owner uh, throughout the Midwest, from many, Minneapolis down to Texas, from Florida to Las Vegas. Uh, we find, I think, it, certainly for myself, some of the other attorneys might, might feel a little bit differently, but we find a, a great resonance in being able to help people uh, with their businesses. And we have a wide range of services um, and are capable through something called tag law, which is an association or affiliation. Other law firms belong as well that we can reach out other parts of the world through a tag law relationship. Uh, I had a conversation this week with folks in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, by example. So we have the depth, the reach, we have the personal touch. 
And we have that Midwestern outlook and attitude about wanting to help people. I love that. I love that. How long have you been with Spencer Crane? 20 years as of October. Two decades. So it's been a good, it's been a really good ride uh, for me. They, they've been, they've been very kind in putting, <laughs> putting up with my desire to write books, thinking out of the box. Um, there is a, a picture in my office, by the way, with a cat sitting next to a litter box and his owner standing over him saying, never think outside the box. <laughs> and that is somewhat characteristic of, of my relationship with the firm. So they've been, they've been very tolerant of me at times perhaps when they shouldn't be. And so it brings great joy uh, to have a group of people who stand with me in front of me or behind me, depending on the circumstance. So I don't know that everybody can say that, but certainly I have, I get up early. I get up at, you know, to work out at uh, 515 every morning and, and get in here and work. I'm a little bit older now, but I, I just still think it's great. We've got a great platform from which to work from to help myself, you know, really find that passion, desire, drive uh, that I talk about in the book to continue to evolve. Well, 20 years that you've built your own career with this company, and now you've written a book. So thinking outside the box, doing some other things, what's ahead for you? What's next for you? Well, what I, I'm working on something right now called the Omni-Channel General Counsel. Um, I think we all know from the phenomena of last year, the nature of having conversations virtually like we're having here. Someone said a long time ago that if you do something for 21 days, it's a habit. Well, we have been on, <laughs> on the YouTube, uh, WebEx, team, whatever, for over 12 months. It's a habit now. I am trying, I'm doing a beta test with a client here in town and with an outside group to put into play what I call the omni-channel. Being able to allow ourselves the access to client and vice versa, whether it be by letter, memo, email, text, telephone, virtually, or here's a radical idea, in person. <laughs> there are so many ways to communicate. I think it's incumbent upon the professional to figure out how to make the maximum number of opportunities available and let people choose. So the owners of the business said, we'd like to meet in person, but somebody heads up our, our contracts, as an example, would rather we do it virtually or just through email. So I think we've learned that there are different ways to communicate. Certainly, I think most people know this, you know, are you audio, visual, are you kinetic? You know, how do you, how do you talk? How do you receive information? And what's the best way to communicate? And I think it's incumbent upon attorneys to figure that out and then create the facility, what I call the channels, the omni-channels, to allow them to communicate and do it in such a way that it is very, I don't like the word necessarily um, transparent, I think it's a little bit overused, but accessible, that it works for people. I was having lunch with some with a client today saying, I, I think this makes sense, especially virtually, because in the old days, as you would know, being an attorney, you would go downtown to see somebody. So it's, you know, half an hour, 20 minutes, 15 minutes in a car, go down, have the pleasantries, coffee, whatever. Then you, you spend time having conversation, and then you wrap up, you get in your car and you go back. And maybe you had a half an hour to 40 minutes of really meaningful conversation around a two and a half hour experience with uh, virtual capabilities, that doesn't seem logical anymore. And instantaneous conversations, when necessary, instantaneous results are probably gonna be the next thing that's required. I think we'll go to a very virtual company going down the road. But the, you still have the place for people to interact because as with everything people do, human beings are the only animal that are social animals. They have to have interaction. And so there's some people that, you know, you've got to be able to see them look in their eyes. The question is, what does that interaction look like and what is it for you? And we're gonna design it that way. 
Fascinating. Yeah, I think you're so right now that it's here, virtual is here to stay. You know, we got everybody sort of over the hurdle of it. <laughs> now, it now it can't go away. Uh, it, it will morph and it won't be everything to all, but it, it is certainly much more accessible, um, as you said, now. My than biggest concern been. is we're going to be like those video games where you have these 3D goggles on and you're, I'm actually, you know, in somebody's law office uh, in, well, in a client's office somewhere halfway across the, the world, right? Walking around. I mean, that, that's possible. I don't, you know, I think we'll be, it's still at the avatar stage, but I think it makes sense that, that pretty soon you'll be there and you're actually thinking that you're walking with them. I, I often wonder, does that mean hotels? There are going to be fewer hotels, fewer, you know, plane trips. If you can put on your goggles and you're in Chicago instantaneously, you know, in somebody's office, obviously far-fetched, we're not there, but not so crazy an idea. Well, the Jetsons was far-fetched back in the day and here yeah. we are, right? <laughs> yeah, electric cars were never thought of. So yeah, tell me what won't work. Yeah, exactly. Well, we could continue talking, but I want to encourage the listeners and the and the viewers to go out and buy the book, Quiet Plans, Exciting Results. I want to actually finish with the very last secret that you share in your book, the 47th secret, Dave, and it was this. What are the hallmarks or goals that define your business success? It is your journey. That is your success. Correct. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Before we finish, uh, Dave, tell people where can they find you? Where How can they get in contact with you? And uh, how do they get the book? The good news is that I travel. I like going out to visiting people. But I am at our Kansas City office most of the time. Uh, we're at 1000 Walnut Suite 1400, uh, Spencer Fane. We also have an office in Overland Park, and I meet clients out there. But I go out to other areas, Denver, most notably. I've been up to Minneapolis and to Phoenix. And it's always good to go visit people in other parts uh, of the company. But go under our website, www.spencerfane.com. A little bit of a bio about me and the firm and the service offerings that we have and how we look at the practice of law and the interaction with clients. The book is available through Amazon. Um, it can be downloaded as an ebook. I would recommend it because all the books have been sold out. So I've got to get with Kelly and say we got to publish some more. Uh, so that's a little bit of a challenge. Good problem to have. But I will have we'll have some more printed. Um, what I would say is, well, I think we're going to do a survey here. I could be wrong, but uh, anybody that uh, answers the survey, one of the uh, prize packages is I will send them a book. Uh, free of charge anyway, and uh, for thanking you to be involved with the survey. And I want to thank you, Kelly, for putting this on. Very enlightening. And uh, I love talking about the subject. I love to talk to people about the subject and try to help them get the results that they want. And if we do that as people in, in my profession, I think then we have done what we've been called on to do so many years ago at Washburn Law School in Topeka, Kansas. There we go, way back when. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you, and we will put all of the information in the show notes of how everything you just shared on contact and also about the promotion that you're doing uh, for the, the free book. If they fill out the survey, we'll make sure they get the links for all of that. Thank you. Before we close up, I like to always ask our guests the question about the title of our podcast, because I'm always fascinated to hear the answer. Everybody answers it differently. And so as we finish up our conversation today, David, what does the phrase, it just takes one, mean to you? It, it takes one trigger. There may be, and I've talked to somebody else this week about it, there, there may be an idea of a book or a speech or a personal conversation that exists. But it takes a trigger to move it from an idea to action. The trigger for me was Dan Sullivan sitting us down one day and saying, you, you need to write a book. Dan Sullivan has a, a class, or actually a training called The Strategic Coach. And he said, you guys need to read a book. So there's a lot of moans. He said, no, 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 listen to me. Listen to why I say this. 
he said, there are three reasons. One is marketing. It's not lost on anyone. And because you have something to say. The second is you're selfish. Everybody knows something that would be of value to somebody else that they think is falling off the log known to everyone. It's just that simple. So you're selfish. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a gut twist by doing that. It's the third one that killed me. He said, you got too much stuff in your brain. Here's the problem. The company, um, people are continuing to evolve. And your head is loaded down. And you have no more space to take anything on. And dear God, with everything that we're getting bombarded by, the media, you know, uh, TikTok, um, just everything that is in the world and our accessibility to information, much of which I question whether we need to have the value. But he said, there's too much. You got to dump it out of your brain. What I learned and what my trigger was, start writing it down. And I, I swear, I, it was liberating. Because you moved it out of that thought in the back of your head. You've cleared out your brain. Now you can let other things in. That begins the process of growth. And that was my trigger. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And, and, and the first book is a trigger for the second edition. I'm looking forward to that one. Getting to work on that pretty soon as well. Thank you, ma'am. I will need your help. <laughs> Have a great day. You too. Thanks Thank so you. much for joining me. Thank you, ma'am. And there you have it, David Sider, best-selling author of Quiet Plans, Exciting Results. There were some great nuggets of information in there, but I do want to come back to one comment that he made that I thought was profound. He said that he often asks his clients, are you interested or are you committed? I love that question. And it certainly goes way beyond mergers and acquisitions and retirement plans. It goes to anything in life. The goals that you want to accomplish, you need to be committed to, not just interested in. So I encourage you to take a minute and ask yourself that question. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And are you just interested or are you really committed? A great thought to take away from this conversation today. I think you could hear that David has a variety of skill sets and specializations. If you're interested in following him, please connect with him. I'll put all of his information in the show notes. You can find his book, Quiet Plans, Exciting Results on Amazon. And I will also put some information in the show notes about the survey. If you fill out the quick form that they sent uh, in the link, you'll be able to get a free copy of that book. That's what I have for you today. I hope you have some exciting results and look forward to having you join us on our next episode coming soon.